Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. So we're in this series, uh, One at a Time, and what we've been talking about is how Jesus did life, how Jesus did ministry. He did ministry one at a time. He didn't, he didn't reach out to people just in mass. Like when I gave my life to Jesus, he didn't say, okay, those of you in row three, all 50 of you, you guys are now in a relationship with me. He had a very, I had a very personal experience with Jesus Christ. And that's how he relates to us. He, he wants us as well to do ministry that way as well. He wants us to relate to people, to connect with people one at a time. And that's what we've been talking about. In John chapter 13, Jesus challenges his disciples. And this is a, an interesting passage because you probably are familiar with the contents of this passage. Uh, in this passage, it's the Last Supper. So we just did communion, which is where we take that from. The last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And it's also where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. So this happens that evening, and then later that evening, Jesus speaks to them, and he says this in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. So pay attention, basically. Like you're familiar with the commandments, but here's a new one I'm going to give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, in other words, by loving other people the way I love people, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, Jesus is getting ready to send them out. Now, they're a small group of people, but he knows that they're going to change the world. And he does not want them to forget what their mission is based on. He doesn't want them to forget how they're supposed to do ministry, how they're supposed to connect to people one at a time. That the way they're supposed to do this is by loving them the way he has loved, loving people the way Jesus has loved them. That this is very distinctive. And this is how this early church actually changed the world by loving people. I can give you statistics. I can go into historical fact of how the church was counterculture in in a time when when people just were, were disposable. The church was one that was, knew how to love people well. And so I know that some of you, you're probably like me, that when you think about your discipleship, when you think about growing spiritually, we oftentimes think about it in terms of like more knowledge. Like I'm learning more. I came to Christ. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I remember when I first gave my life to, to, to Jesus, I, uh, you know, they would, I would sit in church and I'd have a new Bible I've been in church maybe a few weeks, and then the pastor would say, okay, turn to, to, turn to 1 Corinthians. And I was like, okay, 1 Corinthians. Let's see, where's the table of contents here? I had no idea where 1 Corinthians was, you know. So, but now I can pretty much go to any, any portion of the Bible. And sometimes we can d- gauge our, our spiritual growth based on more knowledge, more theology, more understanding, more Christian ethics, and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we gauge our discipleship by church involvement, you know, that when we first come, we're not really involved, but then as we get connected more, we get more and more involved. But how you love other people tells the most of whether you're a disciple of Christ or not. You can know all kinds of things, but if you don't love people the way Jesus loved people, then you're missing it. 
So Jesus says it's a new command. So what makes it a new command? Like, you know, talking about love is not new. The Bible does talk about love. But what makes it a new command? I think what makes it a new command is Jesus says, love people the way I have loved you. That's how I want you to love you. I want you to love people the way I have loved you. Like he doesn't pull them together and say, okay, guys, here's the plan, all right? Pass these out. Hands out a bunch of bracelets to a bunch of to, to the disciples. This is what we're going to do. Put these bracelets on, and they have on them WWJD, and you wear those, and then if you hand it off to everybody out there, and as long as you're wearing those, people will know that you belong to me. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, hey, here's the plan. The world will know you're my followers by your strict interpretation of every word I've ever said. And this is how we're going to carry this out. We're going to divide people up into different groups. We'll call them denominations. And, uh, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to just focus in. I mean, whatever you do, just make a big deal about little things like your opinions and your preferences. I promise you, if you do this, people will know you're my disciples. doesn't say that. He doesn't say the world will know you're my disciples by your moral superiority or your self-righteous indignation. Like, as long as people can see you just, you're just so offended at people, you'll just win them over. <laughs> he doesn't say you'll be known as my disciples by the politician that you choose to, to back. He says you'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples by the way you love, that you love the way I have loved. Now, these disciples are probably like, they understand this is a different way of loving. And so, and may, may, maybe they understood a little bit. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they're asking, they're pondering, you know, what does that mean to love the way that Jesus loves? And we're not sure exactly what that means. And then they look down at their feet and they realize freshly washed feet. Oh, that's what it means to love the way that Jesus loved. One at a time, Jesus sat down with them and he served them and he loved them. He washed their dirty feet. He took them in. He was the son of God, and yet he sat and washed dirty feet. <clears throat> and this is how he's called us to change the world. If there's a word, I think, that can describe what made the ministry of Jesus so impactful is the word proximity. Proximity. Being in proximity to people is how ministry flowed from Jesus. He was close to them. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. Christmas is all about the incarnation, God with us, right? It's a celebration of proximity. See, Jesus didn't, God didn't love us at a, at a distance. He was there. He was present. He was close. In fact, I love how the message paraphrases this. In John 1, 14, it says, the word became flesh and blood. This is the incarnation. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Like he's not far away. Too often we treat God as he's distant and he's far and, and, and we're searching for that distant God and really he's just right there. Nothing better communicates that you care than when you're present and that's what Jesus did. Um, <clears throat> I have a friend by the name of David Olson. We, he, he's a close friend of mine, pastors a great church in Ankeny, Ankeny Iowa. And um, we've, we've known each other. For, he was the best man at my wedding, so I've known him for 37 years now almost, and um, <clears throat> 37 years. And we were roommates in Bible school. 
And I remember the, the, the night or the couple nights before I was to get married, uh, I was, it, we were staying in my sister-in-law's apartment, my brothers and I, and Dave was, was there with me. And, um, and I was, you know, I was getting the, the jitters, the la- last minute jitters. Like, I'm going to get, I'm about to say yes for the rest of my life to somebody, you know, and I was a little bit nervous about that. So I was sitting outside in, in, like in the front porch up by myself and Dave walked out and he sat next to me. And then I just shared with him, man, I'm just a little nervous. <laughs> like, what if this is the wrong person? You know, what, what, you know, what do I do here? You know, I just didn't know. And, and Dave just put his arm around me and he just said, man, he started reasoning with me and, and, and praying with me and, and encouraging me. And I, I mean, he was close. There was proximity there. Several years later, Dave now is married to Kathy and they gave birth to twins. Elise and Alex were the names of the twins. And they both, they were born with cerebral palsy. Elise and Alex were. And Elise was actually very, very, affected very severely. She, she couldn't speak. She didn't have any mobility. In fact, to this day, she's wheelchair bound. And, um, and it was, you know, she's still alive. And, and like I said, very, it's very difficult. <clears throat> But Alex was good. Alex could talk. He could walk. He could run. Um, he had, you know, seemingly he didn't have a whole lot of effect, except he had an underdeveloped respiratory system. And so it wasn't uncommon for Dave and Kathy to have to rush into this bedroom and do CPR to bring him back. And then, you know, ambulance would come and they'd take him off. I remember that that day, I got a call from Dave. I was uh, in my little, in a little cottage that we lived in at that time. He gave me a phone call, and on the other line, Dave said, hey, Rich, Alex is gone, and just started blubbering, crying, <clears throat> and I fell to the floor, and I just sat on my living room floor for hours, just crying with Dave, praying with Dave because he had so many hopes. He had dreams and visions. He, he had, like, literally had visions that God, that God was going to use Alex in powerful ways, and, and now Alex is gone. <clears throat> There's power in being close, right? Proximity is where you look up, and somebody's there just the right time. <clears throat> and is there ever a time that we need to be talking about proximity is now in a post-pandemic world? we become very familiar with distance, very familiar with isolation. We, in fact, sometimes try to keep distance. We're uncomfortable with people being too close. And yet, I believe that God has designed us to do life with others in proximity. <clears throat> I was reading a, this week a New York Times article entitled Facebook in a Crowd. It was written by a guy named Howe. I didn't write down his last name. I should have, but I didn't write it down. But you can look it up. Um, he, he, he writes in the New York Times on occasion, and, and he, this was a few years back. He was kind of excited and you know, really excited about the fact that he had 700 friends on Facebook. And, you know, he was, it was a phenomenon for him, you know. And so he, he got so excited one day, he decided to run an experiment. He's going to have a party and invite all 700 of his friends to a party. And he was going to pay. They were going to go to, like, a local pub, and they were going to have some snacks and drinks and all that. He was going to invite them all. So he puts out on Facebook, hey, we're having a party on this day at this time in this location. Can you come? And then put, will attend, maybe, maybe attend, or not attending. 
He had 15 people that said they will attend. He had 60 that said maybe they will attend. And he didn't really say about who was not attending. But this is what he says. On the evening in question, I took a shower. I shaved, put on new pants and a favorite shirt. Brimming with optimism, I headed over to the neighborhood watering hole and waited and waited and waited. And eventually one person showed up. It was a woman that wasn't even his friend on Facebook. <laughs> she was a friend of a friend. And so she shows up, and they kind of talk a little bit and engage a little bit, you know, and then she left after a little while. Says he stayed there till mid midnight, and no one else came. So he ordered a beer and sulked, and this is how he concludes his article. 700 friends, but I'm drinking alone. And I think this captures where a lot of us are in this world. There's something that's tremendously powerful when followers of Jesus Christ intentionally, intentionally decide to reach out to those who are not usually a part of the crowd. To invite people in, to get close to people that maybe you never would, maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe you're just uncomfortable being with that person, but, but it, there's something powerful when you're a follower of Christ and you start loving the way Jesus loved that you decide to get close to that person and live in proximity. <clears throat> Jesus seemed to know this. Sometimes it was someone wealthy like Zacchaeus, tax collector. Jesus is coming into town. He sees a tax, a tax collector up on a tree. He knows that tax collector has a lot of friends because he's rich. But they're friends of convenience only because they're only there because he's rich. He's a tax collector. He's a, he's a marked person. He's unclean. And so Jesus knows that, that Zacchaeus must have these moments where he feels very alone and very, very much on the outs. And so Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, today we're gonna, I'm having lunch at your house. Sometimes he would do this with outcasts, like he decides to go with his disciples through Samaria one day, and he sends his disciples off to do some grocery shopping to meet a woman at the well who's there at the noon hour when nobody else would be there so he can be close to her, be in proximity to her. See, ministry for Jesus flowed out of proximity. I want to look at a, a few minutes, take a few minutes to look at a parable here in Luke chapter 14. It's the parable of the, great, of, the, of the great banquet. And so for context, just a little bit about this parable, or before the parable, just to, what's happening. Jesus has been invited by a religious leader to a party, to a banquet, okay? So Jesus shows up. And as he gets there, he starts looking around and he notices, wow, there's a certain social class here. There's an exclusive class going on in this place. Like the people that are there are, you know, probably his friends, his rich neighbors, you know, that's who's there. And he notices that it's exclusive. See, sometimes I think that we Inadvertently, but I, see, I think sometimes we pattern our lives around exclusivity. Like exclusivity sees the world with the, through the lens of us and them. And we always want to be a part of the us, right? That's where we want to belong. We want to, this is us. We're a group. So Jesus sees this and he's like, hey, I don't like this. He, does, he notices that the, that the them are nowhere in sight, and so he decides he's going to confront the situation. I wish I would have been there. I love when Jesus confronts situations in the Bible. This one seems like this would have been a, a juicy one to watch, <laughs> right? Verse 12, he says, then he turned to his host 
When you put on a luncheon or banquet, so this is not hypothetical, this is actually happening. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. <laughs> I just had this mental imagination of what's going on. I could just see Jesus looking around and seeing friends, rich neighbors, family members, and he's like, yeah, don't invite these people. He's talking to the guy who just invited him to this party. Don't invite these people, right? And so imagine there's tension going on. Now, I, I realize that you're thinking, it's kind of strange that he would say that, but I think sometimes that's how we pattern our lives. We want to be with people who are like us, who think like us, who believe what we believe, who feel the way, we, even of the same demographic. I mean, just, we just want to be with people like us. It's just uncomfortable with people that are not so much like us. So Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that, for they will invite you back. Notice this. They will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. And here's what you need to notice about this passage. Jesus is connecting our eternal reward with who we do life with here on earth. I didn't say that. He said that, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> just in case you're wondering. <laughs> like your eternal reward is contingent upon who you love here on this earth. He goes on. <clears throat> it's a really awkward moment, I imagine. He says, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, people that these, these religious leaders would not have hung around with. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, when you go to heaven, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Like Jesus said, there's a lot to this host. There's a lot of people that are not here that need to be here. Those are the people you need to invite. And so there's this tense moment. And I can just imagine it. If you, if you get a mental image of what's going on here, there's this tense moment because he's speaking very directly to this host. And, you know, there's this guy in the, in the crowd, too. He's like a peacemaker. Doesn't like conflict. You know anybody, have anybody like that in your family who doesn't like conflict? As soon as conflict surfaces, they're trying to figure out how to make it right, you know, how to get, you know, calm everything down. There's a lot of people that like conflict, you know, when conflict arises, they're like, all right, get some popcorn, we're gonna watch this, <laughs> you know. But, but, this, but this guy doesn't like conflict, so he, 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 he chimes in in verse 15, he says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Like, let's talk about this instead. Let's not talk about the people that are not here. And so Jesus decides, no, I'm going to push forward. And so he gives this parable, starting in verse 16. <clears throat> Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. Like these people that are expected, they expect to be invited to this banquet, but they decide... There's other things that they have to do, so they make excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. I've got these 10 oxen that I've got to test run. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I can't come. My wife won't let me. I just got married, right? Now, these guys are not rude. They're not hostile. They're polite, they're saying, yes, you know, it's just not a good time. Like, this is a, an excuse of priority. 
Like the banquet is a, a real invitation. I want to go to it, but I've got these other things going on that are more important. And I think oftentimes for us, when it comes to, to living life in proximity with God and with other people, we often have other priorities. And this is what's happening. They just have other priorities. Now, for us, it may not be five oxen, but it's still a priority thing, right? Verse 21, he continues with the story. He says, the servant returned and told his master that what they had said. What they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Like, go to these people, these people you usually don't go to, these places you never go to. Go to those places invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Like, this is not an exclusive invitation. Now, this is an, an inclusive invitation. This is for everybody. Go. I think it's important for us to understand that, that the church is that. It's inclusive. It's for everybody. It's not meant to be, we don't stand at the door and say, oh, you, you fit this category, you don't fit this category. So Jesus is being very conscientious about this, this message, Right? Here's a couple of things I want to talk about, a little bit about proximity. First of all, especially in this one-at-a-time approach of proximity, living in proximity means being fully present, first of all. Being fully present. Like, like you're going to engage, okay? Now, these disciples, they struggle with this. Like, oftentimes, they were preoccupied with a lot of business, business for Jesus. I struggle with this, you know? Um, my wife, who's sitting here, will say to me, sometimes nicely, <laughs> say, you're here, but you're not here. Like you're here in body, but your mind's not here. Now I don't, it's, and she's right, it's true. I don't mean to do this, it's not on purpose, I'm not trying to do it. It's just that I have, my mind is preoccupied. I'm thinking like, well, I've got a sermon to prepare, and I've got this to do, and I've got that to do. I've got deadlines for this and deadlines for that. I've got all these things going on, and so what's happening is I'm not engaged, and there's people who love me and people that I love that are right near me, and I'm not engaging them. There's an opportunity I'm missing to, to speak into their lives, to impact their lives, to, to touch them in a very significant way because I'm just distracted. And Jesus had a way of being fully present. And so proximity first is about being fully present. Today, you're going to have a chance to do that. Today, you're going to leave this place, and there's going to be a toddler that's been begging for your attention, and you've just been ignoring them, and ignoring them. And you might have a chance to be fully present. There's going to be a son that you just basically, he's a teenager and you just pass each other. You don't talk, you don't say anything, you don't, there's no engagement at all, they just don't wanna to talk to you, you don't wanna to talk to them, but you have an opportunity to be close and to be fully present. And as followers of Christ, this is what Jesus calls us to do, is to be engaged and to be fully present. Second thing about proximity is that it means loving the uninvited and the overlooked people. <clears throat> and this is tough because I think most of us, we organize our life around the people we'd like to, we want to be with, right? And, uh, and if they're unin uninvited or they're, you know, they're, not, they're overlooked, we don't think about them. They're not included in this circle. Jesus just had a way of always focusing in on those that were uninvited and overlooked. He talks about poor people here, for example, 
And he is talking about poor in finances, like that would have been a, that would have been a kind of a spiritual black mark on a person if they were poor, because obviously God was not blessing them, therefore the blessings of God were removed from them, therefore they just really weren't, weren't a, a good part of the society. That's true, but it's interesting, the literal translation of that word poor is people without value. People without value. And Jesus is saying, invite those people. Those who, in their own estimation, they have no value. And so who's this for you? <clears throat> I know you know some of them. I know you know them because you probably s- sit with them or see them at work. Don't really engage a whole lot with them because, well, you know, conversation gets kind of depressing and you don't really want to go there. So you just pass them by. Or maybe it's somebody at school. And you always see them. They're always sitting by themselves or always alone and you're just not really don't want to go there. Maybe it's a neighbor that just looks kind of weird and quirky, and you're not sure if you want to hang out with that person or have a, engage in a conversation with that person, so you go the other way. Listen, there's something powerful when we show up in proximity with people who can do nothing for us, who don't give anything back to us. We just show up. Watch the video. How many of you know who Beth Moore is? Beth Moore, some of you know who Beth Moore is. She's a, she's a speaker, preacher, travels the United States, speaks at a lot of conferences. <clears throat> this video was, was her, at a, she, was talking, she was telling a story of, of, of being at an airport, and uh, she was on her way to South Carolina. She's sitting in the, air, in the, in the waiting for, to get on a plane, and she was preparing her message for the next, you know, for that weekend. When suddenly a man that was in a wheelchair gets rolled in and he's unkempt, he smells, he's, his clothes are dirty and baggy, his hair was really long and it was like over his face and it was just matted and kind of obviously gross. And so he gets rolled in and he's put in the same row where she's at and she instinctively just kind of pushes chair over to get, make some distance between her and him. And uh, so she's sitting there preparing for her message and suddenly she feels this prompting from the Holy Spirit that... She needs to talk to this man. And so she engages in what is a futile, futile engagement. She starts arguing with the Lord. Lord, why? I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to that man. You know, I'm busy. I've got a message. I got a sermon to preach. I don't need to be talking to this man right now. But as time goes, she realizes she needs to talk to the man. So she says, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to witness to him? You want me to share the gospel with him? I could do that. But I really don't want to. And then she gets another impression that the Lord's asking her to go to the man and brush his hair. At which point she says, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll share the gospel with him. I won't, I don't want to brush his hair. I'll share the gospel with him. You know, but let's just go to that one instead, right? And so uh, she, she argues with God about this and finally she just gives in and she walks over to a man is in his wheelchair and, and very quietly says, sir, it would be a pleasure for me to brush your hair. And the man's like, What? He says, sir, it would be a pleasure for me to brush your hair. He says, lady, if you're going to, if you want me to, if you expect me to hear what you're saying, then you need to speak louder. (laughs) And she's like, I don't want to speak louder, but sir, it would be a pleasure for me to brush your hair. And everybody turns and looks in her direction, you know, and she's a little bit embarrassed. And the guy's like, he's kind of, he's taken aback a little bit. He's like, what? Okay, if you want to. And she's like, I really don't want to. She didn't say this, but I really don't want to, but I'm going to do it because I feel like the Lord wants me to do it. So she, uh, she says, the well, problem is I don't have a brush. 
And so he says, well, I've got a brush in my backpack. So she gets on her hands and knees and she digs through his backpack, pulls a brush out, and she begins to brush his hair. And she's like, you know, I, I don't do a lot of things good, but I raised two daughters, so I know how to, how to brush tangles out of a person's hair, long hair. And so, so she starts doing that. <clears throat> and um, as she's doing it, she says, you know, all of a sudden she f- had this, just like this compassion that just started welling up. And she said, here I was brushing his hair and I felt love for this total stranger that I just didn't know I could ever feel for any, any human being as she's brushing his hair. And if you're a follower of Christ, you understand that God has put people on our path sometimes that for just for, I don't, we don't know why, but somehow or another we just feel compassion and love towards them and we just want to serve them. We wanna, and that's what happens if you're a follower of Christ. So she's brushing his hair, and finally it was nice and smooth. You know, she finished brushing his hair, and she thinks, well, maybe this is the time for me to share the gospel with him, right? So she comes around and says, sir, have you, do you know about my Jesus? And, uh, and the guy's like, yes, I do. <laughs> it's not the answer she expected. She thought maybe God was setting her up to witness to him. He says, no, 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 I've had a relationship with Jesus for a very long time. In fact, I've known Jesus since I married my, my bride. She wouldn't marry me if I didn't know Jesus. So I've been walking for Jesus for a very long time. And so, but then he went on to say, you know, but I've, I just recently had open heart surgery. I had to go to a, a far city to do that. My wife is ill. She couldn't travel with me. So I haven't seen her in months. And I was just sitting here thinking, I just was going so, to be so embarrassing to see my bride for the very first time in such a long time and looking the way I look. So thank you for brushing my hair. And so she thought, well, that was the reason why. That's why the Lord had her do that, right? So she goes and sits down. They start boarding the aircraft, and a flight attendant walks up to her and said, and she's, the flight attendant's just in tears and said, why did you do that? What prompted you to do that? And then Beth said, well, do you know my Jesus? <laughs> and she went on to say, he has loved me so much that I can only, the only thing I can do is love people the way he's loved me. And Jesus says, by this, the world will know that you are my followers. The story ends in Luke 14. You know, the servant has gone out. He's invited all the guests, even other people. And it ends in verse 22. It says, after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. Like we've invited all these people, but there's still room for more people to come. His master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. And here's what I want you to hear. This is expressing the heart of God for people. He calls us to love people just as he has loved people. That's That's a mandate, that's a calling. That's how we are to do ministry one at a time, is loving people just as he has loved people. And the end result is he wants his house to be full. Now, we're not talking about a church. It, doesn't, it does include a church building, but it's not just a church. He wants his kingdom to be full. Like he wants us to be actively be, being disciples of his, known, known by the love that we share with other people, living in proximity with other people, now, this is difficult for us because, like I said, we tend to be people that want to be in our own little groups. We have the us and them viewpoint or mentality lens of this world. There's the us, and that's who I want to hang with. That's who I want to be around because I feel good around them. I give, and they give back to me. 
But then there's a them out there that, well, it's inconvenient. It's challenging. It stretches me. Sometimes it feels uncomfortable. <clears throat> and Jesus says, that's who I want you to fill this house with. Fill this house with. So here's a challenge I want to put before you. Let's all stand. I want, to, I want you to mix up your proximity this week. Like, if you normally shop at Walmart, why don't you try shopping at Hy-Vee? If you shop at Hy-Vee, really try shopping at Walmart. I realize that you're like, oh man, I can't do that. If you go to a normal coffee shop all the time, maybe check out another one. Here's what I'm saying is that you might find yourself in a position in a place where you're going to actually meet somebody that needs to be close to you. You're going to meet somebody that is lonely, struggling, hurting, discouraged. And because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because you're a disciple of Christ, because the love of Christ has filled your heart, you can love that person the way he has loved you. So just mix it up a little bit. Like, like schedule in. We have, I have a very busy calendar. My calendar just sometimes dominates my life, and I hate that about my calendar, but it's true. But what if intentionally we scheduled in the marginalized, the poor, those who we normally don't hang with. What if we, what if we scheduled it in? What if we just decided we're going to take, you know, two or three hours of a, of a day and a week to schedule people in that I normally would never hang out with and never talk to? Imagine, imagine the kingdom impact that could happen. This is the one-at-a-time approach that Jesus used of proximity with other people. I want to challenge us as a church to do that. Now, maybe you're here and you feel like you're the one that's at a distance. Like you're the them. You feel like an outcast. You feel like you don't belong. Even right now, you're sitting in this room and you feel like, man, these, all these people, I, I just don't belong here. I don't know about these people. I just want you to know that Jesus wants to be close to you. Jesus wants to be close to you. That's why he came. That's what the incarnation, that's what Christmas is all about, is that he left heaven to come to earth to be close to you, to live in proximity with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Amen. So we're going to pray here in a minute. We have prayer teams here in the left and right. And what we're going to do is, as I'm praying and as worship band starts leading us in worship, you have an opportunity. You can step out. We have prayer teams here. You can step out and pray with them. Or even in your seat right now, you wanna, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's, uh, it's, it's something new to you. Or maybe you did it as a child, but you've lived a whole different life since then. And you're coming back to the faith. And you want to just at this moment say, Lord, I just want to surrender my whole life to you. I surrender my life to you. I give myself completely over to you. So I encourage you to do Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> I want to thank you, Jesus for your presence in this place. We thank you, Father, that you didn't love us at a distance, but you loved us up close. You, um, you left heaven and you came to earth 
And you weren't in some hierarchy over us, but instead you washed our feet. You cared for our wounds. When our hearts were broken because of a relationship, you were there, you were present. So Jesus, we thank you for the proximity that you have towards us. We thank you for the love that you have lavishly poured into our lives. And Father, help us to be authentic followers of you, Jesus, and love the way you have loved. To choose to live in proximity with those who are far from you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this place. We thank you, Father, for those individuals in this room who maybe for the very first time are confessing you as their Lord and their Savior, and they're surrendering their heart to Jesus. Father, I just pray for them right now that you will just speak to them. Holy Spirit, you do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.